So in, um, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we've been in this series, um, we've been in this series that we've called Pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And you know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I didn't realize, I guess, just how clear of a picture um, that this particular one is. I mean, last service we had, you know, so many who... Who, who, who came um, and, and put their faith and trust in Christ, I didn't realize, you never realize just how, how or something's going to happen. But the picture for today is as clear as it gets. And unless you're pretty familiar with the scriptures, you've probably never even heard of it. Guys, that's what makes this amazing to me. Last week, we talked about basically grace, amazing grace, right? I even finished with Newton's song, Amazing Grace, and, this, and how he even came up with that song. But you have this picture, this gift picture that you don't deserve. Last week, we talked about Manasseh, and he was a king of Israel, and he was probably the most evil man in the, in the, in the Old Testament. And and even, even God's grace covered him, right? So the thought last week was, hey, listen, I don't care what you've done, right? Is that there anything you've done that God's grace can't cover it? So God's grace is for everyone. Now, some of you are saying, you know, because so many times we use these churchy words, and sometimes people don't catch on to what, we're, what we mean by them. And, but the word, the word grace, just to give you a definition, because today's title is By Grace Through Faith. And there's not a clearer picture that explains that, right, the, in all of the Bible. And um, in the Old Testament, there, there are pictures that God has put in these people's lives that show us who Christ is and what he's going to do. That is what makes the scripture so incredible because down through the ages, there's been this unity and picture. You know, the, the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, it's about 400 around 440 years before Christ was even born was the last book of the Old Testament. In the time of David, King David, it's about a thousand years before Christ. So the, 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 obviously the thought today is somewhere around eight and 900 years uh, before all right, the time of Christ is today's story. But all of these, Moses was even further than that. We talked about Passover, now that's a couple of thousand years. But isn't it incredible, incredible, that all of these things point towards one event, who Christ is and what he came to do. You know, I tried to come up with something that would help you understand. If somebody in your life wants, well, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? All you have to do is remember who Christ is and what he came to do. If you can remember those two things, you've got it. That's how simple the message is of the gospel. Who Christ is, what he came to do. Therefore, what he came to do, forgiveness and all that he did to make payment for our sin, obviously, he could do that because of who he was. And the two are linked. If you can remember those things, then you, you've, got the, you've got the picture of it. But when we talk about, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, which is a verse that I refer to often, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. So what is the picture? What does it mean, grace, through faith? Well, there's an example of it in one of the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, the one we're going to talk about today, right? And it's the story of Naaman, and it's found in 2 Kings. 
Remember these kings, uh, this particular king, of course, he's not really a king we're talking about. Naaman was somebody that came over. And there's only one other thing you need to understand. First of all, is a definition, two things, a definition of grace. The word grace means, uh, means unmerited favor. That's the textbook definition, but it means a gift that you don't deserve. That somebody gives you a gift that you don't deserve and you don't earn it. It's just a gift. So, so that's what the word, that's what the word, that's what the word grace means. Now, the other thing to understand at the, in the Old Testament times is, is, is the role of the prophet. Because there's going to be a prophet here that shows up. And he's going to have a, a part of this particular picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And the prophet is named Elisha. Okay? Um, his predecessor was a guy by the name of Elijah. So don't get them mixed up. Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elisha was an interesting. In fact, if you go to Israel, I remember when I was in Israel that the tour guide, who was a Jewish, called him Elisha, all right? Well, that's not the way you say it in Tennessee, so Elisha is, is what we're going with. But Elisha was the prophet, and what is a prophet? A prophet is not one so much that does miracles. He's one that speaks for God or shares God's word with the people. That was a huge thing. Usually he was able to do several miraculous things so that he had credibility that he did speak for God, okay? So you have then this picture. That's all you really need to know when we jump right into uh, this particular picture. So picture of Christ, and I don't know if there's a clearer one in all of the Old Testament, okay? There are some maybe as clear, but this one, especially when it has to do by grace through faith, all right? It will be so simple this morning, you'll get it, okay? You will get it. So number one, let's jump into the, the story, okay? Mainly of Nabon, of Naaman, all right? Let's take a look at it. Number one, if you wanna take down some notes, there's gonna be quite a, quite a bit of that today because I've kinda, it tells a story. Number one is a deadly disease, okay? A deadly disease. Let's take a look at it in 2 Kings chapter five, verse one. It says, now Naaman, he was commander of the army of the king of Assyria. Okay, now, commander of the army of, of Syria. I want you to understand that Syria was one of the strong countries back at this particular time. This was when the Assyrians were strong, when the conglomeration of people that called themselves Assyrians, they were right before the Babylonians, right? Because the four world powers are the Babylonians, right? Uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. And right before, they just don't consider the Assyrians a world power because they lasted such a short amount of time. But this is who Naaman was. So he was extremely trusted. You'll see what it, how it describes him. Let's take a look at it. He's commander of the army of the king of Syria. So he was the commander, the general of the army of the, one of the most powerful armies in the world Okay, at that time. He was a great man. The word great there means... Uh, character-wise, just a good man, right? He uh, <clears throat> had integrity, had character, basically is what that means, with his master, that is with his king. It was really important at the time that the king trust his general, because many times the general, since he had all the military might, could turn on the king and take over for himself, right? So usually the generals were highly trusted and had to be, okay? But he was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him, the Lord, this is interesting. It says that the Lord had given victory to Syria. So actually this guy was blessed by God. God had given him success. So this man, this man was a good guy. He, he was loved. He was trusted. 
He had character, right? He had victory, right? He had accomplishments. It also said that he was a mighty man of valor. That is, he was extremely brave. This, this guy is almost an antithesis of the guy we talked about last week. Last week's message was, hey, listen, there ain't anything you do, can do that God's grace can't cover it. But this one says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter how good you may think you are, or how good you perhaps really are compared to everybody else, you still need, right? Well, because death is something we all face and we all need an answer for. That is the picture here. That's why we call this a deadly disease. Because after it says all these great things about him, there's a, there's a, there's a but here that says, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. Now that was the most dreaded disease of his time. When you got leprosy, it was 100% fatal. And the terrible part about it is it took a while. You just deteriorated. If you've ever seen pictures, it's awful. It is the most dreaded disease of its time. And I think the reason it's the most dreaded disease of its time is that it not only put a death sentence on your life, but it separated you from your family. You know, sometimes when you get a bad disease and if you can have your family around, I mean, it's not great, but it's better. But what made it worse was, is that there was so much superstition about this disease at this particular time, is that they would isolate you. They would quarantine you because they, they thought it might've been communicable, right? And so they would take you way out of the city. They would have leper colonies. Therefore, where everybody, everybody had, you know, you were an outcast and you were not allowed to come back into the city, right? Wherever that was. Every city had a leper colony. In fact, we even, you know, we even use the terms to this day of someone who's an outcast or someone who's been shunned, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're treating me like I have leprosy, right? Basically, it means, you know, they treat me as I've got this terrible disease, right? And that, and that's one of the great pictures. Guys, this is one of the, again, as I've told you with these stories from the Old Testament, they all follow similar patterns, you have sin, right, or something that symbolizes sin, like leprosy here, that leads to death, wages of sins, death, right? And then the judgment that comes with that, which is this particular picture. And then you have some sort of a picture of, of hope being given. God provides a way, grace, whatever. And that that hope or that, that grace is predicated by you trusting it, right? And then a changed life. Seems like every week we follow this pattern, we're gonna do the same today. And so you see then this, this, this deadly disease, right? <clears throat> but for those of you who have ears to hear, those of you that are gonna track along with me, right? And those of you, and I've prayed for you today, God, open our eyes, all of our eyes, and let us see this parallel inside that teaches us, right? That is this picture of Christ that helps us understand more of who he is and what he came to do. And I think you're going to see it, all right? So number one's a deadly disease. Number two is what I'm going to call a hope communicated, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you this. Hope is an amazing word. You know, when you're at your darkest, you know, even a glimmer of hope can sustain you. You know, it's, I've, I've shared this before, you know, it's, you can go, you know, for a couple of months without food, you know, you can go for uh, perhaps a couple of weeks without water 
and uh, maybe not that long. You can go about four to five minutes without air, but you can't go a second without hope. Hope is one of those things that is extremely powerful. And, and when you get this picture of leprosy, uh, there ain't anything that sends you to the bottom like that. But in the midst of this, there was one glimmer of hope, right? And it was communicated to him. Uh, that's why it's many times called the blessed hope, right? Who Christ is, what he came to do. Sometimes people call it that, but we lose words and we turn them into churchy words and sometimes people don't know what they mean anymore, right? But there's this powerful hope that's communicated to Naaman. Let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2. It says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl. The term little girl is not a child, uh, but it probably, well, yeah, a child, somewhere between 9 and 12, that age, okay? Because she had to be old enough to be able to serve and be helpful. So she was not a toddler, but she was, you know, anywhere from 9 props to 12, Definitely not an older teenager, or you wouldn't have, in this particular case, you wouldn't have called her a little child. So it says here, they, they, in one of their raids, and I know that sounds cruel, but that is the way of the world at the time in which we're talking about, is that whenever you attacked a, con a country, whenever you conquered a country, you would steal, you know, spoils of war, and then you would carry off the people. And usually they would become servants in some way, shape, or form because they were a conquered people group. And so, and so that's what happened here. And so they brought this little girl back and, uh, and Naaman, she was from Israel. So she was a, a little Jewish girl and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Okay. So she became a personal attendant, if you will, a personal servant to Naaman's wife. And this is what she said to her mistress. Okay. Would that my Lord, that is Naaman, were with the prophet who is in Samaria and he could cure him, he would cure him of his leprosy, all right? So this little girl, <clears throat> I want you to think about this. For those of you who have ears to hear, this girl, girl became a bearer of good news, right? And she is the, really the, the hero of this story, this unnamed Jewish girl. Because without her, the news wouldn't have been shared. And in reality, I'll talk about this at the very end, but guys, it's who God's called us to be. He hasn't called us to change anybody's life. He just called us to share, share about the one who has, right? That's all he's called you to do, like what this little girl did. So in this parallel, you have a dreaded disease. You have a hope communicated by this little girl. Perhaps she's the only one in that whole country of Syria that knows this. I have no idea. And so Naaman went in and he told his Lord, that is the king. He said, this is what the little girl from Israel said, that there's a guy over there that can cure me of my leprosy. And so the king of Syria said, go. You know, and that didn't always happen because kings were known for being self-absorbed and not really caring about anybody but themselves. And so he's just another soldier, right? You know, he dies, there's no one to take his place. But obviously he was valuable to the king and perhaps he had a strong relationship with the king. I have no idea. But the king says, go, I'm gonna send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went 
And he took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing, several hundred thousand dollars in their, in their currency. So this was huge price, right? But the king was willing to pay it if he could, if he could have Naaman whole. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, right? Which read, this is what the, re- what the letter said. With this letter, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Okay. <clears throat> and when the king of Israel, verse seven, heard this, he freaked out. That's Jeff's interpretation. I have this picture of the cartoon, you know, where hair standing, you know. <clears throat> because the people at the time were afraid of the Syrians. They were afraid of them because they were powerful. And so he begins to tear his clothes, right? Which was a Jewish tradition. When you were, when something extremely stressful or tragic, usually it had to do with death and mourning, but you would tear your clothes. It was just symbolic. And so I think this is interesting. This is amazing what this king of Israel says. says, am I God? In other words, you're asking me to do something that only God can do. And what is that? To kill and to make alive. You see, the author of life is the only one who has the authority to change its status, if you will, right? Guys, that's what makes who Christ is and what he came to do so powerful because of where it comes from. So you have then this picture, this king says, who does he think I am? I'm not God. Why? Because if Naaman had leprosy, he's already dead. That's why he said he's, he's, he's been killed. It's basically what he said, he's just not, he says he wants me to bring him back to life because he's already looked at as dead having leprosy, right? And this man sends word to cure a man of his leprosy. Only consider, this is just a family, fancy way of saying, only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. So the way the king saw it, of Israel is that the king of Assyria is picking a fight and trying to, to come up with a reason to invade. That's why he's freaking out, okay? Now, so you're, you're following along. You got, you got this picture. You've got this deadly disease, right? You've got a hope that's communicated. And number three, you have a grace that is extended. Now, here's the picture, guys, of by grace. That there's a grace that is extended, it is not automatic. Therefore, there is news. God's word is given to Naaman. But it is, it is not all it is at once. You're going to see something here that's incredible. Now, grace extended. Let's take a look at it. Verse, verse 8. It says this, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king had torn his clothes, he sent to the king and said, Will you stop freaking out? All right, does does that make sense? Just stop freaking out. Send him to me. That's my interpretation. Why have you torn your clothes? In other words, why are you freaking out? He says, just send him to me. That he, Naaman, may know that there's a prophet in Israel. That is one who speaks for God, who shares God's word with the people. Right? So Naaman came. Now this, if you got, if you got a, if you got a, a, an imagination like I do, I just want to, this is, there's a lot of comedy in this, okay? So Naaman came 
to Elisha's house. Now you can imagine, I mean, Elisha's this peasant prophet who lives probably out in the middle of nowhere. And it's, it's, it's probably not a big house, you know, maybe even a tent, but just, you know, just real small, a couple of bedrooms, maybe uh, a couple of rooms, maybe. And so he comes pulling up, Naaman comes pulling up in his BMW chariot, right? Right? He comes pulling up and came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So he has got, I want you to think about how important of a guy this is, but beyond that, remember what they're carrying. They're carrying all of this treasure. They're carrying all of this stuff. So they have a, it's, a, it's an armed escort. And probably Naaman is so beloved in his army, he could have had as many, some have said, have read as, as many as a thousand people show up right? Guarding him and guarding everything. I think that may be overdoing it, but at least 500. And so they all come with their regalia, right? And their, and their, uh, and all of the different polished stuff shining, you know, BMW again, chariot. And, <clears throat> and they're at Elisha's house. All right. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because what happens then is, is Elisha sends a messenger to him. Okay, Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. We're not talking about we can't find him. We're talking about this little, probably this little building. So he didn't even, he doesn't even bother to go out there. He does it on purpose. And you'll see it in just a minute. And this is what he tells the messenger to tell Naaman. Okay, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Now, here's the thought. That was God's word to Naaman. That is not God's word to you and I. So don't go booking a flight to Israel to go jump up and down in the Jordan River seven times. Okay? It's a picture it's a picture of Christ in the, Old, in the Old Testament, but it was God's word to Naaman. And it was very simple. Hey, here's what I want you to do. If you don't know, the Jordan is a river that runs through Israel and it runs from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And, and I've been, you know, I've been to the Jordan River many times and it's not an overly Im impressive, okay? Uh, I mean, there's so many Christian songs sung about it, you know, on Jordan's army banks and all this other stuff. But, you know, I've been there. In Tennessee, we, call it, we would call it a crick. <laughs> I mean, seriously, during the dry season, there are times uh, over there, the Jordan River, you can jump across to the other side. So you can call it a river, but it's, it's not really, okay? And so, again, he, he tells him to go on, you know, go go wash seven times and it. Now, guys, that was, again, that's God's word. This is why, if you've got ears to hear, I pray that you can see it. In the, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Therefore, Jesus is called God's word to us. There's great symbolism in that because God's word to us is huge. Because if you have God's word, you have the ability to be able to trust it. And this is where grace, a gift that was given to Naaman, but that gift is only going to give into your life if you trust it. 
So a situation was created by God himself, right? To put him in a time to where in order to receive God's gift, he's going to have to trust. He's going to have to believe it, right? By grace of faith. You're going to see it today. It's as clear a picture as it gets of understanding the who's, what's, when's, and why's, if you will. Number four, and this one we don't usually get, but this is awesome. It's what I'm going to call a crisis of belief. Guys, today, you are hearing God's word, not just God's word, but you're hearing it to you. It is extended. Hope is extended to you. And what you do with it is up to you. I'm here to tell you guys, I'm not here to try to talk anybody into anything. Because I've learned that what I can talk you into, somebody else will talk you out of it. But if you put your faith and trust in it, it'll change your life. But that really scares some people. It's like some people mad. Because I'm here today that that message has already been given to you in the same parallel of who Christ is and what he came to do. Therefore, we have this picture of Naaman who has leprosy. I mean, it's deadly. He has no hope unless there's a gift. God offers him a gift. First of all, this gift is communicated to him by a little Jewish girl. He, he follows up on it, finds out, you know, here's God's word to you. Just go wash seven times. And at that point in time, he's going to have a crisis of belief. And I believe that there are going to be many in here that have a crisis of belief. Guys, this is not about denominations. I say this all the time, but I mean it with all my heart. This is not about some message, you know, that we've come up with to share with you. As far as I know, as I've studied the scriptures through the years, this is his message to you personally. And here's the picture of who Christ is, what he came to do. Now you have a decision to make. It's called a crisis of belief. I think that many will have that today. And I, you know, I think because because you do realize that so many times uh, our internet, with those who are watching by internet, you're going to have the crisis belief because you're hearing the same things the people here are. We have sometimes as many people watching as we do here. And so understanding this crisis of belief. Well, Naaman had a crisis of belief. In fact, he was ticked off at the whole situation. All right, and let's see what Naaman did. Verse 11, now Naaman was angry and he stormed off saying, I thought that it surely he would come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave, wave his hands, right? And the place, and then cure me. I mean, he, I think there's almost an element here of, does he know who I am? God's pride has kept more people from God's message than any other single thing. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And so he said, but what is he also saying? He's saying, he's saying, wait a minute, why didn't he at least come out? I thought he'd come out and, and, and do a show. <coughs> I want the show. And it's incredible to me today, the number of people that are looking for the show. But in the midst of the show, they miss God's word to them. Am I making sense? because the show at times will cloud the true message behind it. And so Elisha didn't even walk out of the door. 
but he did make sure the truth got to Naaman. And Naaman had a crisis of belief. And really, he only had two choices. I'm either going to trust it or I'm not. So he started doing the math in his own brain. He said, are not Abana and Farpar, those are two rivers in Damascus, right? Uh, better than all the waters of Israel? And the answer is yes. If you know this area of the world, even to this day, yes. I mean, gosh, my goodness, Israel is mostly desert, okay? And when I say desert, it's not sand, it's like one big rock. And so are the answers, yeah, the water, the actual water itself is better. But I want you to know that God's word didn't say go bathe in Abana and Farpar. It said the Jordan. So the question is, are you going to follow what it says? But he couldn't get past the fact that he thought he'd come all this way for nothing. Right? She could not wash a nose and be clean. Right? So he turned away and he went away in a rage. He was done. I'm not going to do that. Let's go home. And then at least he had a friend who had enough sense to say, hey, Naaman. Right? If he'd asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it. If he'd have done anything like go climb a mountain or cut yourself or all these other crazy things that people do to themselves. If he didn't ask you to do anything, Naaman, you would have done it. This is my father. It's a great word this prophet said to you. Well, why don't you go do it? Because all, all he said was just wash and go be clean. So Naaman made three mistakes, right? Number one, he looked at the physical water, right? He looked at the physical water, right? So when you look at physical water, guys, it's like baptism. The physical water... You know, we're going to be going to the beach here in a few weeks, and people are going to be baptized. It's a cool thing to do. But we baptize here because there's nothing in the water. There is no change that comes over a person's life. It's just a picture. Christ is the one that does it, right? Who he is and what he came to do. So if you get hung up on physical stuff, it's amazing how many times people can get so superstitious about certain kinds of water, this kind of this or that kind of that. Listen, it's God's word that makes it. And, it's, and I want you to understand, it is what God told him to do and the promises he made, right? So he looked at the physical water. Number two, he wanted to show. That's another mistake. Because if, and that's the reason that Elisha didn't come out, you know, with a tambourine and, and start jumping around, oh, you know, say all this crazy stuff and make it look really impressive. You know, he'd have probably gone and done it then. Because I, every once in a while, just in my study of the scriptures, every once in a while, God is in the show. But rarely. Like the Red Sea, okay, that was a pretty good show if you know anything about it. But you know, with Isaiah, he looked at him, he says there was this great earthquake and there was this great wind, but God was not any of those. But he was in the still small voice that those who are quiet enough can hear it. Elisha didn't come out on purpose because he wanted this guy's decision to be he was gonna trust God's word or he wasn't going to. And guys, that's the decision all of you have today, right? That's what makes this such a powerful story because it's right down where it is. 
There's no more making excuses for, well, you know, I hear there are a lot of hypocrites and, you know, you pastors, you're... No, 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 no. Okay, throw all out the window and ask yourself the question, is this God's word to you? And it is. The scripture says that he loved you so much that he gave his only son in order to pay the debt so that he could offer grace to you. And grace has been extended to you. The question is, have you trusted it? Number two, he wanted a show. Guys, our culture wants a show. But God is rarely in the show. Right? Interesting, huh? Number three, struck at his pride. Just kind of who I am. You know? You know, the waters are a lot better over there. And I tell you what, pride, especially the whole thought of I, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And the thought of, I won't get to do what I want to do if I put my faith and trust in him and start following him. I understand that, okay? But have you ever seen yourself first? It's an amazing thing. All right, so it struck at his pride. Those are the mistakes that he made. And he almost stormed off. But he went. You see, guys, it doesn't even take great faith. Did Naaman have great faith? No. One of his buddies had to talk him into it. Hey, listen, if he told you to do something hard, you do it, at least go do it. And he went probably to the river thinking it wasn't going to happen. But it did. Why? Because it was God's word and he trusted it even this much. You don't have to have great faith, guys. You really don't. After you see him work, that usually is when the faith starts happening. I have to be honest. That's when I started growing is when I started seeing him work in my life, started seeing things change. And then it was like, wow, this is incredible. Because that's what happened to him. Number five is a changed life. This always seems to happen, a changed life. I see this all the, all the time. That's why I share with people, guys, if if you put your faith and trust in God's grace, your life has been changed. Because what happened in Naaman's life? Well, he went from death to life. He went from leprosy to being clean. I mean, that's as clear a picture as it comes. And well, that's the same thing. So verse five, chapter five, verse 14, it says he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, just like the word of God said. And if he'd finished it three and said, this isn't working and left, he'd have died because it's not what it said. Are you going to trust it? And then you, then you know, the, if you know the story, he dipped seven times, right? And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Gosh, if that's not a great picture of the rebirth. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away, old things come new. Jesus actually called it being born again. So the pictures, guys, the pictures in the Old Testament are, are amazing in this particular story. I mean, they just leap off the page and it's there if you want to see it. It's all there if you want to know. The question is, are you going to trust it? Naaman could have easily said, I said this, you know, with the snake on the pole. Naaman could have easily said, hey, listen, you know, I believe what the guy is saying is true. I believe God's word is true, but I am not going to the Jordan River. Well, he would have died, right? Because he didn't trust it, because you're going to do what you believe. So there's this great picture, right? And then he returned to the man of God. So after Naaman, you know, seventh time he comes up, 
I mean, all right, all right, now he's a real believer. It only takes the faith of a mustard seed to start out. But then after you see God start to work, it's like, oh, there's no God but him, right? That's why if, if, you're, a, if you're not a believer here today, and if you ever see these people, why they get, they get sometimes even emotional? Because it's changed them. If you've seen this happen in your life, it stirs emotions, not in all of us, because some of us aren't as emotion, but it stirs emotions. That's why people get excited the way they do, right? It's just the, it's because when you see this, what did Naaman do? Well, he got on his BMW and he tore out toward Elisha's house again. He shows up at the door. This time Elisha will come to the door. I think that's classic, all right? And he came and he returned to the man of God and he and all of his, 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 his company, right? And he came and he stood before him and said, behold, this is what Naaman said. I know now there is no God but the one in Israel. But I find it interesting that many times the Lord doesn't really show himself to you until you trust him. But then after you trust him, you begin to see things you never thought you would. It's a, it's a staggering. For those of you who have ears to hear, here, it's amazing. So he says, I know there's no God now. He said, so, so now accept a present from your servant. <clears throat> Verse 16, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before I'm stand, I will take nothing. Why? Listen, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. God's message is not for sale. Does that make sense? It's not for sale. It's free. It's a gift to everybody in the room. Right? You can't do anything to earn it. You can, can't be important enough. You can't achieve a whole lot of stuff. Right? It's a gift. Sometimes in, in church history, it's been marred by churches charging people, right, for the message of salvation. That's a travesty, by the way. It's a free gift, and it always has been. Why? Because you can't earn it, and you don't deserve it. But it is a gift you can receive. It's such a, of course, of course he refused. Of course he refused because of the picture. Wow. Guys, there isn't a clear, there isn't a clearer picture of Christ in the Old Testament than Naaman. Now there's gonna be some others we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks, because we've got two or three weeks on this. And we might get we might go a little bit longer if, if we feel like the Lord's in it. But but these pictures not only show us about who Christ is and what he came to do, but they even show us more. Oh, so because it's a physical representation of what Christ did. So some things to learn just to take with you. These are just review. Number one, no matter how good a person you are, you still need God's grace. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes people think the gospel of Christ is only for those who are bad. No, everybody is, has the disease, right? That's the picture. Number two, telling somebody of God's uh, grace gives them a chance. If you're a believer here today, that is all you have been charged to do. Okay? You can't make a difference in anybody's life. But you can tell them like the little Jewish girl did. Think about it. Naaman would have had no hope if a little girl didn't tell him about where he could find it. Does that make sense? It's amazing. 
Therefore, God's called you and I, right? Just to tell the story. It's not our responsibility. If they walk away and storm off angry like Naaman did, then that's their responsibility. All your responsibility is is to share it with them. Interesting, huh? Number three, faith is the only vehicle that gets God's grace in your life. You can't be a good enough person. You can't clean up your own life. You can't start doing a whole lot of good deeds to undo the bad ones. Nope, there's only one thing you need and it's a gift. And God's offered it to you for free and the only way to get into your life is to trust it. It's pretty neat when you take a look at it. Number four, pride is the key enemy that will keep that out of your life. I don't know if there's anything. There's something about us, all of us, men and women, that somehow we want, I don't want you to help us, I want to earn it myself. Well, guys, you never will, right? Interesting. I'll tell you one of the greatest ways to be able to see your need is usually in times in your life when you feel very vulnerable or frail. You know why you feel vulnerable or frail? Because you are vulnerable and frail. Does that make sense? Sometimes situations just have to come up to show it to you, right? And it's at that time, usually, when a person is the most open to hear God's gift, right? Number five, God's grace is always free. We've already talked about that. And then number six, whenever grace comes into a person's life, it always changes you. Always. So here's the thought, guys. In this, these messages we've been talking about, uh, I, always like to, I always like to give people an opportunity. Or, I don't do this real often in here, except at times, but what does it mean? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so the message is given to you, and you may be having a fight from within, and it's called a crisis of belief. You see, I have been in church all my life. I want you to know that I went through the class, I was baptized, I went forward, I said the prayer, I recited everything and never was a believer because I never got that message. I maybe even have told you I believed that the message was true, but I'd never trusted it. It wasn't until I was 21 that it changed me. And then when it changed me, I just, it was an incredible thing to me. So there's a time right now I mean, if you can put yourself in the place of Naaman, all right, his message is given to you. It's been communicated. I've communicated it. If you will, I'm the small, I'm the, I'm the little Jewish girl, all right? I don't look like a little Jewish girl, but you know what I'm talking about. In this particular case, that's, I'm just sharing this message. The rest of it's up to you, right? Two things I want to do, okay? First one, if you're a believer here today, the one thing I want you to take from this message is that somebody shared it with you. And this little girl was perhaps the only person in the entire nation, right, that could have shared this news with Naaman. And she just happened to be living with him. You know, you've, all of you, if you're a believer here today, my bet is at your workplace, you are probably the only person who is a believer. I want you to understand, your job is not to make a difference. Your job is just share the hope. And if it's not listened to, then it's not listened to, all right? But also to pray for the time for God to give you 
timing, because timing is as important as anything, um, to be able to share those things. That's something that God has put in all of us as believers, the desire for others to find what we have found ourselves. So that's the picture. But guys, listen to me here. If you're not a believer or you're not real sure, especially those who are here and obviously those who are still watching on the, on the internet, I want you to understand this message, this message of grace is to you. No church owns this message. No church dispenses it. It's his message to you. Why? Because he loved you. And obviously because of Christ is what he came to do. That is his message to you as an answer to death, right? Interesting, huh? And what Christ did at the cross, he was able to do what he did because of who he was. So the two are linked. So that's his message to you. And the only way to get it into your life is to trust it. I can't see how that would help. I hear you. It's called a crisis of belief, right? Every one of us who's a believer have been through it. Until one day we said, Lord, I, I trust you. I don't even know what that means. I did that. 21 years old on the interstate, I-40, way past midnight. I didn't even know what to say. I just said, Lord, this is what I said exactly. If I live 20 more minutes or 20 more years, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you. And then he began to work. And then I knew. I was like naming at that time. Oh, now I get it. And God, it'd be nice if you did a big show beforehand, right? It'd be nice if you did this big firework show beforehand, then it would be easy. No, no, no. You trust him because you want to, right? There's never been a time in your life, guys, that's the incredible picture, right? I always like to give you the opportunity. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. We don't normally do this. But I'm going to ask you just where you are to go ahead and bow your heads, right? Go ahead and bow your heads. And guys, I want you to understand, I'm not asking you to do anything. But I do realize in doing what I do and sharing something like this, that there's always someone. Jeff, I don't, I don't even know where to start. I get you. I hear you. Naaman was a light like that. Where do I even begin? Well, the picture is clear who Christ is and what he came to do. I think we've already explained that. So then, Jeff, how does that happen? Well, sometimes people have you do different things, you know, baptism, but that doesn't change a person's life, right? It's faith, right? Not being baptized. So how do you have faith, Jeff? Well, prayer is an act of faith, although I have known a lot of people who have prayed who are not believers. But if it reflects, since prayer is an act of faith, if, it's, if it reflects who you are, right? If it reflects what you trust, then it's as good as any. So if there's never been a time where you've actually trusted him, then you can just say in the silence of your own heart, don't say it out loud. Just say, Lord, I understand who I am, right? Like Naaman, I understand what your word teaches me. I understand who Christ is, I understand what he came to do. I put my trust there. The words really don't matter. It's the trust that's inside of you. Since it does very clearly teach us, the only way to get God's grace into your life is faith. Trusting it. Lord, I trust it. Lord, I trust it. Such an incredible picture of what it means to trust him. And then it's his responsibility after you trust him to make the difference in your life. Understanding that 
He dipped seven times in the water. That didn't change his life. God changed his life. So he's the one that has to do it after then. Interesting how it works, huh? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, please just give me just a minute or two. All right? If you've trusted him today, if you put your faith and trust in him today, because I'm going to ask you to do something in just a minute, of which you don't have to. I don't ever make anybody do anything. But if you put your faith and trust in him today, right, you repeated that prayer to him, would you raise your hand? Just show me. Right? Just raise it real high. Don't be shamed. Be shamed. Think about what he did for you. Raise him real high. All right. God bless you. All right, you can put him down. I'm going to close this service this way. All right. I'm, I'm going to be heading out to the guest reps. So everybody just stand to your feet where you are. We're going to have a closing word prayer. Yeah, just stand right where you are, but with your head bowed and eyes closed. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to, I'm going to put people up here. Uh, I've got people up here. Um, today was just a special day. Uh, I sensed it last night. And um, God's been here to share with us his message. My hope is in a clear way that you can understand. And so don't leave today, right? Until you've talked with somebody that can pray with you, that can walk you through some of the other things that are in the scriptures about those things. And I'm going, we're gonna have a word of prayer. So Anthony, are you doing it? And um, as he's praying, everybody else is gonna be leaving. I just want you to come up here. There's some staff, pastors, different things here. If you're a believer here today, and you wanna take just a few minutes after the service to pray, for your courage of sharing with other people. We had quite a few that did that the last hour. I just wanted to take just a few minutes, maybe have somebody pray with you. And guys, that's what our services are, is giving opportunity for people, right? Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. I've always liked to say, if Christ went to the cross for us, then I can, I can go talk to somebody about what it means to be his follower, right? Right, amen, hallelujah, whatever. Oh, I've got your heads bowed, sorry. So as I close, all right, just give you that opportunity immediately when we're done, we'll say amen. If you raised your hand, you want to talk to me, again, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come to you. I don't do those type things. But don't, don't lose the moment of what it means to trust him, all right? So uh, there'll be some folks down here afterwards. If you just want to pray, obviously they'll, they'll pray with you, whatever it takes. But that's who we are as a believer, a group of believers. All right, God bless you. Look forward as we're going to continue this series, Pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, over the next few weeks. All right? All right, Anthony's going to close this in prayer. And, uh, and then you can come. Meet these folks up here. All right? They're standing here. They're ready for you. There's quite a few that came last hour. So, um, so don't, don't let anything keep you from it. The crisis of belief, just overcome it. All right?